You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen, with the dark shadow of the Empire rising to take their place. This message is a warning and a reminder for any surviving Jedi. Trust in the Force. Care to let me in on the secret? Kid, I'm about to let everyone in on the secret. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. Hosts from the network, friends drop by, we talk all things geeky. I hope you have grabbed a great drink from Ruby and a a fantastic chair. Just gather around. And I'm really excited. I'm your host, obviously, Matthew Rushing, and I've got some people with me that I can't wait to introduce to you. John Mills, it is fantastic to have you back here on the 602 Club. It is fantastic to be here. Now that I have, uh, you know, outlasted my uh, ban order from the last time I started a ruckus, uh, I'm glad to be back in. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, I'm surprised that Ruby said it was okay, but she said as long as you don't break any chairs over any more Andorians, she's going to be cool with it. I, I will do my best. Yeah, and and watch out for that, you know, that weird hammerhead-looking guy. Oh, yeah, no, we, yeah. we, we give each other Stay space. away from him. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Okay, okay. And for the first time on the 602 Club, we have with us Tristan Riddell of To The Journey fame. To The Journey! To The Journey! Journey! Yeah, that's right. Welcome, Tristan. Oh, it's so good to be here. I got my uh, I got my ginger ale neat, mm, and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm quite excited, so I, I, I'm here to... Uh, I'm here to talk with you guys, and it's and we were just saying on the other side of the room, it's been so long since we since we've podcasted together, and I'm just uh, I'm so happy to be here and uh, and uh, not just to talk about Star Trek, but to talk about other things. I mean, that's just yeah. Well, the last time Tristan that we, we we talked on the other side of the room, we said the last time probably into darkness when we did that ready room is like me, you, and Shar. It's like two years ago now. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was right when it came out of the theater. Yeah, it was like you, me. Char, Lori, and I think maybe mm-hmm. one or two other people. Like it was a mess. Like I had to moderate because there were so many people. Yeah, that was a crazy show, and one of those movies too, where everybody's opinion was everywhere because yeah, it it yeah. yeah it is so much fun because I love this show and getting to have people to talk things that don't necessarily talk Star Trek. I mean, we love talking Star Trek, but there's sometimes only so much Star Trek talk that you can have, and so we're gonna focus on another star franchise and you guys might remember back in October of 2012 that Disney was uh, deciding what to do they bought Lucasfilm that meant the cancellation of the Clone Wars which I I lamented it was really sad when that show ended and that was because they were partnering with Warner Brothers with the show and obviously Warner Brothers and Disney have a competition going uh, with their 
well, obviously, they're superhero movies now and everything. Uh, it's definitely a competition. And it left a lot of unanswered questions for fans. Um, we learned soon after that that Disney was going to create a brand new animated show. It was going to be helmed by the Clone Wars supervising director, Dave Filoni, and Simon Kinberg. And tonight, we decided it would be great to get together to talk about the first season, the full season of Star Wars Rebels. But I wanted to to go back real quick with you guys before we jump into the season. After Clone Wars was canceled and they said they were going to give us a new season kind of about the Rebellion's beginning, what were your initial feelings just about that? Well, I, um... I, like a lot of people, were, you know, like a little confused of because Clone Wars was, was going so strong. And um, at the same time, I was like, okay, so is this in the same universe as Clone Wars? I mean, you know, like, I, I know it's all one Star Wars universe, but at the same time, I, I was like, okay, is this part of the new continuity? Is this part of the old continuity? You know, like, is this... Uh, like following the movies is is rebels going to recognize clone wars existence you know so like all these questions were in the air when this announcement happened but um i was kind of going in and out of clone wars like i wasn't anywhere near as dedicated as you and uh actually every time a clone wars is on or i watch clone wars on netflix or anything like that i think of you matt and uh (laughs) because i just my brain has made that connection with you and the show and uh and actually i was um i was traveling and I was in Atlanta. I was I was in Naples, Florida, not too long ago. And I texted you, saying that yes. Man of Steel was on the uh, was on HBO. And I and you texted me right when it was on. I was like, oh, this is so weird because I automatically think of you when I see Man of Steel. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, um, Clone Wars. Like I didn't have as much of a close connection with Clone Wars as you did, Matt. Um, and I don't know about you, John, but um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, but I wasn't as invested. But with Rebels. Once this started, I was just like, okay, this is just another Clone Wars. But once I got used to it, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I have investment in this. Like I'm getting, I'm getting excited for this. And so I actually just, I didn't finish Clone Wars until, um, a week ago, like two weeks ago. Oh wow! Oh nice! Oh nice. wow! I I sort of envy you. I remember when the, when everything was finished. That was uh, they they because they went out on a high note. They really went out on mm-hmm. a high note. Um, even if you didn't. Uh, bring in the you know the sixth season stuff that they put on Netflix the way that the fifth season ended was a wow point from my my point of view I mm-hmm. I was yeah. very invested in Clone Wars so can you remind me how season five ended Ahsoka yeah oh, Ahsoka oh is the Ahsoka story yeah. okay the that's Ahsoka right. storyline that's, right. that's right which was that I mean I was heavily invested in Clone Wars that was one of the rare shows that I made a point to watch live uh, like that was a never DVR show. That was my special time. That was, you know, lock myself away in a room. Nobody bothered me. I've got a beer and I've got Clone Wars and I got my action figures and the world can't bother me right now. And um, so was it like Spaceballs where they'd walk in and you were playing with your action figures? You're like, yes. I told you to knock. <laughs> yes. Yes. It I didn't see exactly. you playing with your dolls, sir. <laughs> Good. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I found out about Disney buying it, you know, I like I, I was just fixated on, oh, my gosh, there's going to be an episode seven because that, you know, that announcement was part and parcel was, you know, it was going to keep going. It was like, oh, wow. When they inevitably then, you know, followed up with Clone Wars is going to end. That was tough. I like I understood the business case for it. You know, like you guys have said, like 
Disney is not Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers, you know, isn't going to keep the license. So that made sense to me. But at the same time, I don't know. I was sorry to see it go because I felt it really was in its stride. It was really strong. Um, but, you know, go out on top. Rebels, I've had a harder time plugging into. Um, I'm I'm going back to Clone Wars and I remember that was a jarring adjustment, but I think that it benefited from its debut movie uh, was a more cohesive entry point than the entry point for Rebels. And I think that's why, and I don't think I'm alone, I, I think that people like me have had trouble latching on to Rebels because it didn't have that big cohesive uh, entry point that Clone Wars did. Yeah, the uh, the movie, I remember seeing that in the theater and thinking about how weird it was to see animated yeah. Star Wars on the mm-hmm. big screen. But I think the main thing for me was just like the music was so epic and so different from John Williams' score mm-hmm. um, that that kind of helped tie it together. Like it just, it was something familiar but new at the same time. Yeah. And I do agree with you. Like I, I, uh, I did, I did really like the movie. I don't think I was as blown away as a, uh, as the most most of the world, but I did think it was a very solid story, and it introduced you to all these characters and the new versions of the characters, kind of the new interpretations, um, because they were different from the movies and Ahsoka, of course. And yeah, with um, um, with with Rebels, when you had Spark of Rebellion, um, it, I thought it was solid. I thought it was good, and I I think it um. I think it it was a great introduction for those characters, but at the same time, it was just it it, it couldn't hold a candle to the to the Clone Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I think that additionally, just as a final point, the Clone Wars movie was an introduction point for one character. Really, it was to bring Ahsoka in. We knew everybody yeah. else uh, that was a main character coming in. And so I think that also worked against Rebels was they were introducing a whole bunch of new characters, heroes and villains, as opposed to this is all set up so that we can add one more major character to the ones you already know. Mm-hmm. I remember when the announcement came about the whole thing and for me the hardest the hardest thing for me to deal with is the fact that they were to cancel Clone Wars. I mean, it crushed me because I love that show. I still love that show. In fact, my wife and I are uh, after we record this, we're actually going to finish season four because it's her first time through, and we've been watching it chronologically, and which the the seasons kind of jumped around a little bit, and so if you kind of put it all together like Leland Chi did, um, he's the master of the holocron over there at Star Wars. He keeps track of all of the timelines and makes sure everything runs together correctly. Uh, it flows so well. In fact, it I think it plays out even better than it did when you watch it. Um, just kind of the way they had it in air date because all the storylines are really flowing together. So I just, I was really crushed when it was canceled because like you said, John, they had hit the stride animation wise, storytelling wise, everything was firing on all cylinders. And so I was definitely looking forward to hopefully a couple more seasons with that high quality. And every season had got, you know, exponentially better than the one before it with the quality of the animation they were doing, I felt like on the whole with the storytelling, 
and the risks that they were taking too. I mean, geez, bring back Darth Maul. I mean, they do all sorts of things that you would never think would work, but they they work. And then when I heard it was going to be this new show, I was like, but I just I just want more Clone Wars. I don't care about a new show. Hmm. So I came in it with a bias. Um, and I'll readily admit that I was I was dispositioned to not like Rebels from the beginning because of what had happened, you know, the, the way I felt like I'd been, just been treated as a fan, as if I deserved to get anything, you know. Yeah. But it was one of those things. Like, I just, I felt frustrated. And so, you know, getting into this new show, uh, I, I was feeling cold towards it just because of everything that had happened. And... That kind of hurt, I think, some of my first impressions of the show, even just when we talked about it, John, on our very first episode of the 602 Club, Man Tears. Um, yeah. And uh, we yeah. were, you know, the frustration of trying to get into a new show, like you said, that I don't know any of these characters, and they haven't, at that point, you know, the first episode, it doesn't necessarily give you any reason to care for them. You have to really watch the rest of the, se- the season to slowly begin to grow an affection, I think, for the characters. And we'll get to where I end up at the end because it might be different. You don't know. That's why you're listening to the show. So, I, um, I think I was, I was excited for Rebels because when I heard, that, like, when Clone Wars came out, like, when it was coming out, when it was in production, you know, like, you know, I was just like you guys. I was following it from the beginning when it was just a rumor, when like work was happening, when um, Lucas was saying he was excited and that he could go on forever, and that they already have like dozens of episodes in the can, and we haven't even seen anything yet. You know, I, I was I was really excited about that, and then when I heard about the concept of what it was going to be like, I was even more excited. But the thing is, is that the concept that w- they that Filoni said was going to happen was what the rebels concept is and was and when lucas got more involved they it changed drastically to what it is now the clone wars and and so i was a little i felt a little cheated because i i wanted that structure i wanted the star wars rebel structure i wanted to focus on um a crew i wanted to focus on one crew and then go through their adventures together and then when i saw that clone wars was much more of an anthology and and, you know, bounce around the universe and bounce around with different crews and different characters and everything like that. I was like, okay, you know, it's fun. This is a fun distraction. Um, and then it took a while to, like like you guys talked about, to take those risks and to to develop yeah. the story and the animation and everything like that. And so when Clone Wars was canceled, I was sad, but I understood why it happened. But then when Rebels started, I was like, oh, cool. Now I get the show that I was promised seven years ago. And I think that's why I, going into it, like I was, I was quite, I was probably more excited than you guys because I, the concept I was hoping to, um, to have seven years ago is, was finally coming to fruition. Interesting. And I think that's a great place to, to start, Tristan was, and, and John and I talked about the first episode before, but what were your first impressions, um, you know, getting into the show and, and seeing Sparks of Rebellion and then the first few episodes, uh, the droids in distress and fight or flight, those um, things. What were your first impressions kind of once you finally got to see this new hopeful promised land of Star Wars? Well, with Spark of Rebellion, like I said before, I mean, like, I was intrigued. I thought it was good. It wasn't as good as the Clone Wars movie. Um, but I, I, I was intrigued. I was like, okay, you know, like, um, it's not as solid, but, you know, like, I'm going to give it a chance. I, I want to 
I don't want to be one of those people who are like, oh, the pilot sucked. I'm not going to watch it ever again, you know. And it didn't suck, but um, I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. But then droids and distress happened, and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like I was like, I don't know about, I don't know about this, folks. But um, I started watching this. um, Like I didn't catch up to this until 2015. Like I didn't start watching until January. Like I did not watch this in October, November, December, and. And so, like, it, it got to me at the right time because um, I was uh, knee-deep in uh, editing a film and I needed, like, I was editing, I had, like, 18-hour days, 20-hour days. It was insane. And so there was times when I needed to scale back. And so I was like, okay, I need something that I just need to wash over me. And so I got the episodes and they were just like, it was just like Clone Wars. It was just like candy at first. But then... I caught myself like I was I was working while I was watching at the same time, but then all of a sudden, like I, I could kind of dismiss droids in distress and fight or flight and everything like that, and I was just kind of watching the background. But all of a sudden, I started catching myself, like stopping working and, <laughs> and just focusing on watching, and uh, and so it just got better and better and better. And I think I was hooked by episode four, breaking ranks. That's when I was like, okay, I like this show. This is good. That, that's interesting. I, I want to ask, uh, actually, Tristan, do you feel that this is accomplishing what they said they wanted to accomplish, which is being more accessible to uh, maybe people who prefer the original trilogy to the prequels? Like, do you, do you feel that this is more evocative of that 1970, not just design aesthetic, but the feeling of the characters? Does this feel more like those original set of characters? Um... You know what, like people, like all the articles that you read about the show, they keep saying about that, that was the intention to bring the aesthetic and the feeling of a new hope to a new show. And I never really felt that way. I I felt like it was, it's kind of on its own. Um, I did like the feeling of a ship on its own, you know, like, and uh, they're smuggling things and they're trying to fight the empire. So it definitely, I think it was definitely a great deal more like the original trilogy compared to clone wars um but i i can't really say like if i just watched this on in a vacuum and mm-hmm. clone wars didn't exist i couldn't really say oh my gosh yeah that is that is a new hope okay you know yeah that that you know that that's my opinion i mean like i think as i like i said i mean it's much closer to the original trilogy in clone wars but i think on its own mm-hmm. i'd to say maybe okay what do you, what do you, you what do you think? Like yeah. what, what do you guys think about that? About how it, does it harken back to a a, a dawn of a, a of a, of Star Wars in a the seventies? A new dawn. A new dawn. The the yeah. title of the, That's the right. opening book for the the new canon and the the first book about uh, Star Wars Rebels too. So uh, which was a decent book actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was. it was. I mean, of the new canon, it's the only one that I've enjoyed. So oh, I enjoyed Tarkin. It wasn't as enjoyable, but. In terms of the show, um, it, it's very tough because the the design aesthetic very much feels like all of the stuff that I've read in the behind-the-scenes books and the Macquarie paintings mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's evocative in that sense where it's like, oh, neat. Like It's just like the little uh, the, the design Easter eggs that they had all throughout Clone Wars or even Attack of the Clones where you could see earlier versions of stuff that you know, you know, we're left from the original sketchbooks and those sorts of things. I have gotten the sense, I I think that as the series progressed, it got better about it, but definitely in the beginning, it felt 
too much like they were trying to force the connection to the original trilogy. And so it actually wound up repelling me in a way. Um, because by reusing music cues that belonged very definitively to other uh, character moments in the original mm. movies, that I'll instantly unplug because, no, that's the music that happens when. That doesn't belong here. Like having little motifs repeated inside of a theme, okay, I, I'll give you that. But reusing them wholesale is... The only one I give them a pass on is the Imperial March because it's the Imperial March, parentheses, Darth Vader's theme. So it's like, okay, it can work for both. But yeah, I I feel that they're getting they're finding a way to connect, but I, I don't think that they've been particularly successful in evoking that same I I do remember what it felt like, that original trilogy, in the moment back when I was a kid, and it's not quite there. They're fine in their way, though. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, John. And it's funny because for me, watching The Clone Wars, I, I remember seeing the movie that just theatrically and thinking, man, this is the some of the best Star Wars I've seen in a long, long time because I felt like they just had this Star Warsy feeling. It was fun. And and enjoyable and somewhat lighthearted, lots of jokes, some seriousness. Um, they you know they didn't hold back on on any of the seriousness uh, in Clone Wars. I mean, clones get mowed down all the time. I mean, sad things happen, and it obviously gets darker and darker and darker. And it's but it still felt. I mean, it still felt Star Wars to me. You know, I, I and I'm not really a fan that divorces the prequels from the original trilogy and that they don't feel the same like to me it's all the same universe so as long as you feel star warsy you know, that's that's all that matters and i think um for me like the first few episodes droids in distress fight or flight uh those two episodes i felt like they were trying so hard to add the humor and the lightheartedness in that they were missing something but for mm-hmm. me by the time they got to episode 3 with Rise of the Old Masters, kind of like the prequel trilogy where you get to the Revenge of the Sith, you can't deny that it's not good. Like, And I felt like Rise of the Old Masters, they started to embrace a lot of stuff in this show that carried forward through the end of the season. Like that, that really started to make the show stand out. Like they were grabbing hold of where they were in the Star Wars universe and starting to really talk about and and just tell you things you kind of wanted to know about this time period you know what happened to the old jedi like luminara you know uh did anybody else survive uh you know what is this inquisitor like we finally really get to see him in that episode uh him and kanan go at it big time you know for the first time and you know all that stuff it just starts to come to a head in that episode and i felt like that's what really won me over because when they used the droids R2 and C3PO in Droids in Distress for the second episode, I was like, oh, we're already going here. Right. We're we're already like doing this thing and we'll get to Lando later. But uh yeah, it was it was very frustrating for me. And then Fight or Flight was just kind of like, eh, you know. So uh, little did I know that that would actually play a part in the final episode and be actually kind of important. There's a lot of things that they do here. And so first impressions were just, I was kind of on the fence still. Like, just I, I don't know. I don't know 
what to think of this show. And then, of course, I, I, the thing I hate the most, when I see online, if one more person says, oh, Rebels is just like Firefly. I haven't no. heard that. I, no. Yeah, people Star have, Wars yeah. <laughs> is the original. Firefly is like Star Wars. So if anything is... Well, if I, Rebels <laughs> is like anything, it's like Star Wars, not Firefly. Well, I, you know... I. The, the one thing that I'll give people a pass on for that is Star Wars hasn't really had a, a show before that focuses on one crew trapped on one ship uh, right. the, the, the way that Rebels does. Yeah, so, that, you know, yeah. I, 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 I get what they're saying, but I, I, I get what you're, what you're saying, too. But I think you sort of, I think both of you have sort of hit on something, too, where we've all been talking about, like, how it, it sort of ramps up and it sort of gets there. I, I almost wonder if... Uh, as fans, any franchise fans, we've gotten impatient to the point mm-hmm. where we don't want to give a show that first season to find itself. Yeah, you know. And another show that I I'm taking flack for liking from other friends of mine is uh, Gotham, and it's because I like enough about it to give it that first season and say, you know what, they're going to screw up every once in a while, but let's see how they they figure their way out of those messes. And I think that. With Rebels, the biggest thing is by the end of the season, they seem to have figured out their way out of the mess that they created. Um, and I know that that seems like a, a really mess that they've created is a really sort of like harsh term, but it really seems like they've they've organically figured out a a, a path to go down, a path of the Jedi, if you will, um, <laughs> by the end of the season. I'm really glad that you brought that up. I'm really glad that you said that because that's really important about the giving a show a chance and letting it build through its first season. And um, my uh, my friend and also uh, co-host on The Nerd Party, Matt Hansen and I, we were talking about this very thing about how back in the day, you know, like <laughs> in, the, in the 80s and 90s and everything like that, and even before that a show... Like and like, look at Star Trek. You know, look look at look at the next generation. Oh, like yeah. season one and season two are incredibly weak compared to the rest of the of the seasons. And I was telling him, I said it was like if Next Generation aired today in the mm-hmm. same format, the same way with the same stories, it would be it. There would not be a season two. There would not be a season two of the Next Generation because, um, like he he blames it on people's attention spans, which I agree with. But I think it's more so that. There is so much more. I mean, like you look at what you grew up with in the 80s and the early 90s, and you had uh, maybe 10 channels, you know, uh, if you were lucky, and then maybe four shows that were any good. And then yeah. today, you, like you have to be phenomenal right out of the gate to break through the noise, to like to cut mm-hmm. through the noise, because it's there's so much stuff out there there's so much great stuff there's so much bad stuff that if you aren't generating buzz right off the bat or if you don't knock it out of the park in the first couple of episodes people go click i got netflix that i can binge watch 15 other great shows and why would i waste my time with you yeah yeah it's a huge frustration i I, and i love that you hit that john i think it's so true because you know if i had allowed my my frustration and cynicism at the beginning, and I, I completely admit that I was just frustrated with Star Wars at that point because of losing the Clone Wars, and, and that really did carry over, and it soured me, and I had to just keep watching, and it won me over, and one of the things that I thought was fantastic about the way the show did it is I like to consider this the J.K. Rowling 
theory of doing things where you drop these seemingly innocuous bits throughout the season and so that at the end they become paramount of importance. Um, and they, they just picked all the things they had used throughout the season to create the finale of this year, which was fantastic. Like almost every episode, almost every episode, had something that played into what happened in the finale, which I thought was really great that, you know, they are learning how to tell, I think, a, a, a good story and really, I think, kind of creating a master class on how to do continuity without ruining the show's enjoyment so that I can pop in and watch any episode, mm. but I can also binge watch three or four episodes at a time and be rewarded for that type of viewing as well. And that mm. is probably one of the hardest things to do these days in a television show. And I think we huh. see it in a lot of ways. And and it, it, this all came together for me as I, I, I binge watched the entire Rebel season in one day and just saw how it played together that way. And beforehand, I had just watched it, you know, every week that it was on. And so doing it those two different ways, I was able to see how all the stuff connects. Interesting. Um, and enjoy it two different ways and, and really, I think, see it play out well. So I think if we're saying anything, guys, give shows a chance to yeah, find yeah. themselves. You know, and like you, John, I'm I'm on the fence with Gotham right now. It's it's okay. And I'm going to continue to watch it. I'm going to let it, you know, do its thing. But there are some shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is about to lose me. I'm just like, it's it, yeah. it'll sit on my DVR. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get to it. You know, I, I just don't feel like it right now. You know, I, you know so I, I think that's a good point, actually, uh, you know, about the DVR is Rebels is good enough that I'm not watching it live, but I will go to it. It doesn't it doesn't rack up a bunch of episodes before I go back and 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 catch up. Um, so maybe that maybe that's the, the sign of the test. I. I have not binge watched it where I've gone from episode one to the end, um, but I, I think I will now. I'll give that a shot just because of that that continuity. I mean, the sense that do you guys also have the sense though that as they were finding their way, they were sort of retconning co- continuity into it, like they would come up with later episodes and say, "Okay, how like." Something like the X-Files or even Clone Wars, you had an arc that was going to stretch through everything and mm-hmm. go, you know, you knew where you were going from the get-go. You you had a, a map. And they are more forging their way through this uncharted territory, but then sort of drawing connecting lines backward so that you can do that binge watch and sort of, uh, you know, just create a mythology in retrospect. Uh, can you, you give... give- us an example or uh you know i would actually say uh the inquisitor um a lot of his interactions he seemed because they they drummed him up a great deal um in you know all of the the press leading up to the show uh all of the talk about the show and it almost feels like as the season progressed he didn't really have his identity his true identity until the end but then they did it in such a way that the earlier appearances made sense for that character. Like they didn't know necessarily where he was going to end up, but 
the way that they put that together made his earlier appearances made his uh for you know for an inquisitor he seemed almost sort of a passive sort of character to me he didn't seem as forceful as i would have expected i expected him to be especially from what they were saying about him leading up to the show more vader like mm-hmm. and the way that the season ends, you suddenly understand why he isn't Vader, like why they never took that step with him. That's a good, that's a great question. My speculation is that this is a 13 episode season and they had, I think enough time to be able to craft a lot of the season before they started quote unquote filming, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that putting these things together, uh, and the the way the story group works with Disney now and having to have things kind of more planned out of where you're going to go makes me think that this is more deliberate than the clone even the clone wars was uh, in a lot of ways well, but i don't know that's a great question i think that's something we'll probably get on an extra on the blu-ray it'll be really fantastic where they kind of talk about crafting the season yeah i i mean i mean the one of the things sort of informing my my take is it, Filoni did that three-part interview on StarWars.com uh, where he was talking about putting the show together, and he revealed there were a lot of things, including when they discovered the temple and the way this, the story was going to play out in Path of the Jedi. Like, he apparently made major changes, drastic changes, to the goal of the episode, like, right as they were getting ready to to film it. That sounds like Dave. Yeah. So he said it didn't feel Star Wars-y enough, and so he went back and, and they retooled a couple of things. Yeah, and I can I can definitely see that happening too, specifically with Dave, because he sat at the master's feet and learned how to make Star Wars for 10 years. So if anybody knows what Star Wars-y, it's Dave Filoni these days. I mean, because Lucas was heavily involved, more than a lot of people, I think, recognize with the Clone Wars. Um, some of the biggest ideas for that show come directly from George. Hey, I, I want to bring Darth Maul back, but George, you cut him in half. Well, I, I don't. I want. I want to bring him back. <laughs> you know. I mean, literally. <laughs> Just um, by the way, spot on, yeah. Lucas, right yeah, there. That, that yeah, was pretty, that was pretty uh, fantastic. And uh, you know, but I mean, just it very much the same. Like um, you know, Dave asking him about the the beginning with the cloaking ship. Uh, you know that that Anakin and Obi Wan use against Admiral Trench. Dave's like, but uh, no, no ship that small has a cloaking device. And George was like, well, this one does. <laughs> you know, I, that's just George. You know, he'll do what he wants to do because he enjoys telling enjoyable stories. That's what he does. Continuity. It is not his biggest concern. His biggest concern is telling a great story. And he'll try to make sure that the rest of it works as it goes. So, um, yeah, I, I can see that this season... I think they figured out what really worked in the show and they finally went with it. There are a couple episodes where I feel like there well, I'd say that there are probably 3 episodes in this season I could have done without and on a whole the rest of them were were really good. Okay. So. Okay. You know, you're obviously referring to because you you mentioned it earlier, the Lando episode. Oh, I'm dying yeah. to know what yeah, your we'll problem is about, with the we'll Lando just, episode. We'll talk about the Lando episode. We'll just it, this is actually going to be a whole thing in the the podcast, the Lando episode. Okay. My problem with the Lando episode, much like Droids in Distress, was that they were trying to drive in like an 
OT reference, like an original trilogy reference. We want the whole episode is we want Lando in this episode. Mm-hmm. Not does Lando actually work for the story? Does he need to be in the story? Should he be around Rebels at this point in the first place? Because when we see him in Empire, he could care less about the rebellion. Um, you know, he doesn't like the Empire, but he's also making a buck. He doesn't care. So having him here doesn't make a lot of sense, especially since I know they're going to bring him back for season two. And so having all these connections with the Rebels, I feel like softens that character in a way that's kind of ruining his appearance when you finally get to the Empire, where his turn is is much more dramatic. You know, if we're kind of like making him just the the friendly smuggler, Hey, how you doing, you know, Hera? Uh, you know, it's just, it bothers me that we're going to we're gonna kind of take that kind of... It didn't need to be Lando for the story. Like, I, I always try to think of story first, and there's absolutely no reason for it to be Lando in the story. I just rewatched it today. There's... I, Lando doesn't... Like, it being Lando doesn't add anything to the story. I, I guess I, I can underst- I understand where you're coming from, and I think you make a very solid point, and it's a, a very solid storytelling point, that does this need to be Lando? And the answer is no. It, it, it did need to be Lando, but... I freaking love that it was Lando <laughs> just yes. just because of, like the like the voice that you were mocking right there I was like that's all I was thinking about it's just like well hello Hera welcome <laughs> to the cool side you know it's yeah. just I, it's, you know it's just like stuff like that where I'm just like it it was it made me geek out enough where I did like I cannot argue with you Matt I mean you were absolutely right did it need to be Lando no but I geeked out hard enough where I was just like, okay, this is cool, you know. And I felt like they, I felt like they walked that line where he wasn't a he wasn't a complete ally to them. He was trying to make a buck. I mean, was he trying to thumb his, you know, a, like um, thumb his nose to the to the empire? Not not really in that episode. It was really just about making a, making a buck. Yeah. And so it wasn't helping them out. It was helping himself out. And so I feel like. You know, like if just judging by this episode alone, I mean, like I'm sure they're going to use him again, but just judging by this episode alone, I don't think it softens anything in Empire because, in Empire Strikes Back, because he that turn is 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 still effective because in this continuity in this story he still double crosses them, he still uh, cheats them, and he's still a, a lovable and charming at the same time, and I feel like that's that's Lando. Well, also, let's not forget an empire. He's he has actually he becomes sort of a prisoner of his own maturity, especially if you add this episode into the continuity in this one. He's very devil may care, you know, uh, you know, roguish, you know, kind of guy totally That's out for the himself. The takeoff I've had in years. Yeah, but but an but an empire. He's he's bound. He makes his decision because he does care about the people living in cloud city and he wants to protect them. So in a sense, they leverage his own character growth against him. So, yeah, that's true. And I think, I think just what I'm worried about is, and I, again, I say this and we'll get to the very end while I'll tell exactly what I felt about the, the entire season, but I do trust Dave. He's, you know, he's given me the Clone Wars. I have no reason not to trust him. He's done a great job. So I don't think they're going to destroy his character, Lando's character. I I think there's no way Dave would allow that to happen. It's just a fear of mine that that would happen. And it was a little bit of a frustration just because 
you know, when you're doing this kind of show, you do have to be careful about not over overusing familiar elements because you do want these characters to find their way. And that's True. one of the big reasons that Dave said that when we get to the very end of the season, there's a huge reveal of a character that comes in that they don't really, they're, they're not even planning on using that character very much. Um, they'll, they'll use them, but it's not going to be something like they're bunking up on the ghost now. Uh, because they still need these characters to be the ones that are kind of at the forefront, even though they've stepped into a much larger world by the end of the season. So um, I think that's really wise, because the hardest part about the show of finding these new characters became the strength of the show by the end of the season when we were seeing just really how important these characters were. Because on the other side, bringing Frank Oz back as Yoda completely works for me in the way they do it where they're referencing the um the yoda arc from the clone wars with the little lights that you know leading ezra around the jedi temple there mm-hmm. uh, on lothal i mean it's i mean and if, if you haven't seen the that part of the clone wars you don't know that that's that's a reference to what's happened to yoda and how far he's come in the last 15 years like yoda can now uh, he he can merge himself with the force enough to create the same little lights that Qui-Gon could like blowing my mind kind of amazing <laughs> stuff you know so that's where the connections really work so well and when they nailed it like that it was just frustrating to me that Lando's appearance didn't have more of a play to be important because literally you can take that episode out and you story-wise for the rest of the season you wouldn't miss it and that was another kind of frustration for me because it it's right there before it's like path of the jedi idiots array and vision of hope and like there's so much going on you get to idiots array and it's just a throwaway episode like you don't you don't need it for the finale or the story or but but doesn't that speak to uh i think you were making the point earlier or no i'm sorry tristan you were making the point earlier that it, some of these episodes are the type where you can just have them on in the background and it just can sort of wash over you mm-hmm. so that, you know, even though they're creating this mythology that does plug in all together, you know, you can sit down and you can be like, you know what, I, you know, I want to have it on in the background. I, I'll just put on Idiot's Array and, you know, I can just have it as, as noise, <laughs> you know, which isn't the greatest compliment for an episode, but at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I you know. threw it on in the background just so I could hear Billy D talking to me. Well, <laughs> I, I, I would gonna, totally do that, and yeah. and also yeah. we, we have to we have to remember too that you know this like these these animators these storytellers are smart enough to make a show that is enjoyable for all audiences, but we have to remember who the target demographic is yeah, for true. this right. type of show. And that is people who are much younger than us. And they're like, sometimes you need those throwaway episodes. Sometimes you need those episodes that are just pure fun. And I mean, because it's going to, it's going to take time. Like if they, if they follow uh, the kind of format like Clone Wars, they, they will take the time to build the audience and actually let their own audience get older and then expose them to darker stories. And like you referenced Harry Potter uh, earlier. I mean, think about the first book and then think about the last book. Oh my gosh! Right. It, 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 like it's almost like it's two completely different tones, 
but it's yes. it completely matches the style and the verve of the story. And with Clone Wars, it was just so funny because when you started out, it's fun, it's popcorn, you know, it's Star Wars, you know, it's it's the it's the fun Star Wars, it's the cool Star Wars. It's not Empire, you know, like it's 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 a new yeah. hope, you know, and um and that kind of feeling. And um <laughs> I remember like when I was finishing up like season five and season six of Clone Wars, like my wife would be doing something and walking in. She's like, well, you know, what's going on with these guys? I was like, oh, yeah, no, the, he uh, he has a brain tumor and they tried cutting it out and now he's dead. And uh, <laughs> and then she come in later. It's like, oh, what's happening here? Oh, uh, they're just beheading him to make an example in front of the other people. They're like, oh, what's happening now? Oh, like they just killed his mom in front of him. You know, it's it's cool. She's like, and this is a kid. This is a kid show. You know, this this is a kid show. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah they you're you're completely right they definitely went that way and what's so interesting is uh, i think you're right tristan and and it really works when you kind of give that harry potter reference to this is that i feel like this season is definitely like you know the sorcerer's stone the philosopher's stone uh, i feel like the next one's gonna be very much more like the chamber of secrets kind of mm-hmm. thing no where, let's just skip to i mean vader's there now <laughs> just skip to As- alfonso yeah, yeah. yeah skip to azkaban please <laughs> You know, I mean, we've got a whole other, um, you know, level of villain. That was one of the things I noticed is, that, you know, they kind of boss up throughout this this season. You know, they go through mm-hmm. the the kind of low level bosses, mm-hmm. then they go to the mid level bosses, then they get, uh, you know, the Inquisitor, and then they get Tarkin, and now we've got Vader. You know, it's like, wow, they really boss leveled up in one season. <laughs> what the heck is going to happen the next seasons? You can't really boss level more than. Darth Vader because the Emperor really doesn't get involved anymore how um how involved do you think how, how much do you think they're going to use Vader in season two like are we going to see Vader as much as we saw the Inquisitor or is he just going to be a presence here and there for like 15 seconds an episode or something like that that's I, I can't that's you can't question. use him too much I think because at least just my personal opinion because you cannot have him turn into the general grievous of you know, rebels where every episode they're getting away from Vader again. And at the end it's all shucks, you know, um, I would have gotten away with it too, if it wasn't for you, darn kids. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, because we've already seen in the Canon comics and the can, the comics are Canon now from Marvel. The emperor is very disappointed, obviously that his, uh, you know, Star Destroyer has been thrown up. They blew up the Death Star. I haven't even finished paying that off. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> what's an aluminum so. Falcon? Falcon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh gosh. Anyway, so but he's very unhappy with Vader and kind of demotes him in some ways, giving him menial work to do, uh, going after little guys. And so I can't imagine at this point where the rebellion is just kind of starting, if they just keep you know defeating vader every week it destroys that character and the the mystique that was built around him especially as he enters for the first time in a new hope Mm -hmm. and so i i don't think they want to do that but i think he's going to be i don't know i feel like he's going to be the force behind tarkin at this point you know like the ominous threat that as 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 the inquisitor said there are things worse than death but okay here's the thing and you guys might be able to answer this better than me i'm sorry matt if i cut you off um oh no um here, here's the thing like you, you referenced just now he's kind of the force behind tarkin now in what manner did you mean that because i have always been a little confused about the relationship mm. between vader and tarkin and also the uh the level of superiority because in a new hope you 
I mean, Tarkin bosses Vader around. And then, but then, like, we see in Revenge of the Sith that, you know, like, Vader is the Emperor's right-hand man, and Tarkin's just a, a, a military guy. You know, like, they, like the Emperor and Vader have that special bond of, of Master and Apprentice, and, yeah, Tarkin's just a, a, like I said, just a general. But then in A New Hope, you have him, he's like, Vader, release him! You know, like, and, and just yelling at him and telling him what to do. And so, how is this going to be portrayed in Rebels? Like, are, are we going to see Tarkin order Vader around? Or are we going to see Vader order Tarkin around? Because we see Vader as a superior force. And also, to wrap all this up, are we going to get James Earl Jones again? Oh, that, I, I think the James Earl Jones question is a good one. Because, I and I don't mean to be grim with this, but Mr. Jones is, you know, the years are piling up. And, He's advancing uh, in age, yes. Yes, time, time captures all of us. But in terms of the Tarkin-Vader dynamic, um, first and foremost, Vader's entrance into uh, the blockade runner, when it, the way it originally plays is, oh, here's the big bad guy, whereas Vader is a disappointment to the Emperor, and so he is sent out for sort of remedial training. He's the Emperor's hand, as it were, to keep these military commanders in line. But I I would argue that Vader is has enough respect for Tarkin, but also there is a some vestige of a command structure put in place where if you you're, if you usurp the command of the you know the the general or the CEO who's running the battle, then that takes them down a peg in, in front of their troops' eyes. So in a sense Vader and Tarkin are sort of equals at a certain point, but they're they're like separate branches of government where when okay. Vader is on Tarkin's installation, Tarkin has to have the appearance of being completely in command. And Vader is just an overseer. He's just sort of like, I'm here to check up from uh, home office, make sure everything's running around here. Listen to that guy. <laughs> I can see that. I like I like that. I like that where, you know, like... It's, um, you know, there's two branches, like leaders of two branches of government where, yeah, like he's on, like Tarkin runs the Death Star and Vader's just there to see the installation. And yeah, I, I like that. I like that analogy. I like that a lot. Well, and I think that's kind of what I was going for. When I was saying that he's the shadowy presence because I feel like, you know, not a lot of people in the galaxy know who Darth Vader is. And, in, and my guess is, is that if you know who Vader is, it's a bad thing. You know, um, and you never want to come anywhere near this, this, this man and this uh, iron lung and mask is just the freakiest, scariest thing. And if he's coming for you, it's, it's over. And so that's my kind of guess almost is that, uh, and kind of from reading some of the new continuity and, and, and what they've been doing with, with Vader is that he does seem to be very much the one who's going to go in and, mop it all up like if he comes in you're getting wiped out you know um it's not a good thing to have vader show up so i think that's a that's maybe where i see them using him in season two um because again i i would hate for them to see every week we got away from vader again sure you know so well i feel like um you guys might disagree with me on this one but i feel like season two or season three of rebels would be prime real estate to show Leia interacting with Tarkin and or Vader. Um, oh, yeah. Because he, 
Be- oh no, I agree. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, because the, the thing is, like that interaction that they had in A New Hope was very familiar, and like she even said it, like you know, um, she's like, you know, Tarkin, I should, I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. I should have known that you were behind Vader's leash. She that established that she knew Tarkin. She has interacted with Tarkin. She knew Vader, and she like maybe she didn't necessarily interact with Vader, but she's aware of him and aware of what he can do, and. That I want to see those first interactions. I want to see those scrapes that they get into, whether it's political or um, or action. You know, I I feel yeah. like that's something that would be cool to see. That wouldn't ruin the character, only enhance it and kind of enhance that moment when they're on the Death Star. Yeah, sort of see her on her ascendancy in public life, and I, I mean, you know, to to even take it further back like when she sees vader for the first time on the blockade runner she's she's giving him s mm-hmm. you know she's like oh please what are you how are you gonna explain this one away this time you know she's yeah. like actually challenging him um so yeah i i do completely agree with you it, it would be really neat to see those first interactions but would that speak to one of our sort of identified weaknesses for the show does that take away in some way from these characters that they're trying to establish, or do we feel they'll be established well enough by the time they bring her in that it's no longer a threat to their general story arc? I don't know if they would bring Leia in uh, before episode seven drops, um, because I think they might want to establish where all of those characters end up in episode seven, you know, where they Mm. start in that, that series so that then they can, um, they don't step on any toes whatsoever. And I think they already know what's going to happen for the animation team uh, in episode seven. So they can be thinking about those stories as they think of other seasons that they might want to do. But I, I would expect maybe Leia, that would be my guess is for her to show up after that. But who knows? I mean, they, they could just bring her in, you know, at the beginning of season two, who, especially with where we end up at the end of this season, you know, with being revealed with all all sorts of things. So I love the idea, though, of really seeing these rebels find themselves stumble into the larger world, you know, of the rebellion. You know, at the very end, I love that Ezra's like, we're a cell? Did you know we were a cell? And Zeb's (laughs) like, no. You know, like, I just, I love that, you know, and so they've kind of really stepped in it at this point. Mm-hmm. They, they're in a whole, they really are, I'm not going to sing, but they're in a whole new world. Um, <laughs> and it, it's a much bigger universe now. And they are in something that's way beyond them. And they are just kind of a small part of that. But how they play into that small part, I think, is going to be really fascinating, especially since they got two Jedi or, you know, a, 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 an old Padawan and a, uh, fledgling Padawan himself, you know uh, Ezra. So, it'll, it. I think they've just got so much set up that it's it's really amazing. Well, I really we're we're talking so much. I really want to jump into this because we're already almost at an hour, and, and we need to get to some things that I think will be really important. But I want to talk about these characters. We kept talking about you know what happens if if they're interacting with all these you know big wigs, the big shots uh, like Vader and Leia, but. What do you guys think about Hera and Kanan, Ezra, Zeb, and Sabine and Chopper? Um, where do they rank? Especially now, we're going to open it up. We're going to talk about everything. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the end of the season, we're just going to stop dro- start dropping some names of people who show up that you're not going to want to know about until you reach the end. So, just we're, we're warning you now. Uh, what do you think about these guys when we, we 
rank them up against the Tarkins and the Ahsokas and and uh, the the Leias and all of these people who could show up. As a whole, they are a fantastic crew. I think they work well together. They're entertaining to watch. They're entertaining to be with and uh, ride along with in their journey and their adventures. Uh, one-on-one, I don't think they really stand out that much. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I really like the show. I, I, I love watching the show. But um, when you have the Sabines and the Haras and um, the Zebs and everything like that, they're pretty much glorified side characters. And... Um, even Ezra, I mean, Ezra has some really great moments and I really like the relationship that he has with Kanan, but, um, it's the dynamic between Ezra and Kanan that interests me, not Ezra by himself and not even Kanan by himself. And so I feel like, and also like Zeb, like, I really, like, I'm really only interested in because of his new relationship with Ezra and, Sabine is just kind of there, and uh, Hera mm-hmm. is this really nice force to kind of keep Kanan in line. Even though Kanan's the leader, Hera's you know the the one like if if he's the king, she's the queen. But ha- like uh, as we all know in chess, the queen has more moves, and so I, I just yeah. <laughs> I like the dynamic of everyone and their when they pair off and everything like that. But individually, I think they could be lacking when compared to greater Star Wars characters. I, I think you said it best, Tristan. There, there's nothing I could really uh, add to that. Um, and you know, the the only thing I'll say is that I really enjoy Zeb just because I think he's the most fun side character uh, of of the bunch. Uh, and I I will also say that I'm very glad that they've introduced Tarkin, and I hope that he does shape up as their main nemesis because I really want to see him rout those rebels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done, sir. Yeah, that was, I, I want. That was nice. Yeah. You just, yeah, you just. Uh, that's all I got. No, I. I uh, Steven, I Steven Stanton is the yeah. master at doing that voice. Uh, I got nothing. Yeah, he, he's he's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, you know, I I think that Tarkin's going to be a much more interesting uh, villain for them than the Inquisitor uh, had the opportunity of being. the The Inquisitor was a neat trick. Uh, I'm sorry to have seen him go because I felt like they could have done some really interesting things with him. But Tarkin, that's going to be really neat to watch. Anybody else super surprised when he died? Yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. I was surprised. But what I love about his death is that you can tell that he's nowhere near a Sith. He's a dark side user. He's a lot like Asajj Ventress in that way. Yeah. And yet when he mm. says there are worse things than death, no Sith would say that. Because for them, that is the worst thing is to die. They want to live forever. That's their goal, is to have power forever. And so the fact that he's freaked out and scared scared to death, willing to die before he meets Vader and the Emperor, is pretty... I just, it was a, and it was an awesome scene to see, um, really distinguishing him from those characters. And uh, I really liked the fact that they were not afraid to do something bold and big, like kill a main bad guy, the Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that you brought that up that uh like he's a, a dark side user and, and, and not necessarily a Sith because there is a difference, there is a distinction. And mm-hmm. I remember in the first Clone Wars series, the mini series or yeah. micro series, excuse me, um yeah. 
where um, Asaz Ventress is, uh, you know, uh, auditioning to Dooku, and she uh, she beats everybody, and she just goes, "I am Sith," and that's the end of the episode. And then the next one starts up, and it's just Dooku going, "Ha ha ha!" A bold yeah. claim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's very much in that, and I just think it was great. Um, you know, for me, like these characters, these six. I think like you guys that they work so well together. They have created that that chemistry between the characters, which is fantastic. Um, for me, the standout character from the beginning was actually Hera. I really like her character, and it's because she, I think, and knowing from listening to Dave, she is the leader. She's the one who knows everything. She's the one who's getting all the orders from Fulcrum. She's the one who knows about the other cells. Kanan doesn't know any of this mm-hmm. stuff. And if you read the the New Dawn book, you know that it's Hera who inspires Kanan to basically pick up the mantle of the Jedi again when he had lost it, mm-hmm. when he had been on the run for so long. So her character, I think, has just been fantastic because I think it shows that um, a strong, confident woman in a show doesn't have to be the one who's always out there kicking the butt. Mm-hmm. She's the one, she's the glue who holds all of them together. And I think it's a great um, representation for girls watching the show to see strength in mm-hmm. in a woman through Hera and the way that she acts. Um, and I really, really, really like her character. I, I think she's one that I really can't wait to see get more of her background because she's actually related if you didn't know to Cham Sandula from the Clone Wars and if you remember the episodes with Mace Windu where they were liberating Ryloth that is her father I did not know that yes yeah, so she is related to yeah she's related to a freedom fighter already which it's nice to see them referencing those things in the Clone Wars so you can see where she got her fire and her spirit from um, you know, I think Kanan's great. I, I really enjoy his character. I think Freddie Prince Jr. is doing an awesome job just really nailing the performances in him, especially the last few episodes of the season. He gives some really nuanced performances, I think. Um, and uh, even just Path of the Jedi, where he's talking to Yoda and everything. And, and I just, I love that. Um, I enjoy his interaction with Ezra. I think that's fantastic. I think Zeb mostly has been comic relief, but I liked that they give some backstory to him too, the Lasats, which is funny because I have the Ralph McQuarrie action figures on my wall over here, mm-hmm. and the he looks pretty much just like the Chewy. Yeah, the original, the original concept Chewy. Yes, the, I love the it. Group. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like you guys, it's Sabine who I feel like they just have kind of not done enough with, and I feel like in season two we'll probably get more of her, but I hope we do because. All of these characters, I think, have great potential. A lot like Voyager. Um, I just need them to live out their potential, to put it in a Star Trek reference for everyone. And Chopper, I hated Chopper at the beginning. I I really did. He was such a jerk to everyone. (laughs) And then by the end, when he is like, like he's crying droid tears, basically, because Kanan's gone, I was like, wow, Chopper really cares. That's awesome. You know, like, he's not just a, a mean bucket of bolts. He actually has, you know, that that the kind of R2 affection for the people around him. He just doesn't like to show it. Um, and as Dave says, uh, he's the cat of, uh, if, if R2's the dog, he's the cat. Yeah. You know? um, I like that. So, That's funny. Yeah. So I think these characters are good. Now, whether they... Um, hold up will really kind of depend on where we go in in the rest of the seasons um and 
they drop a huge bomb on us by the end of the season. And and um, if you'd kept up with the rumors, I kind of knew what was happening. I knew this was going to come. And, and a lot of people had, get, had thought, uh, who is Fulcrum? And if you had been paying attention in uh, the episode Out of Darkness, uh, there's actually a small reference to Ahsoka on the side of the box when they go to pick up these supplies from Fulcrum. Um, there is the symbol of her from her forehead. Mm-hmm. So I thought this could be Ahsoka, and I'm not going to lie. I watched it again tonight before we started recording the finale. I got so giddy. Like, I'm like a giddy schoolboy when Ahsoka <laughs> comes on screen. Like, it's Ahsoka. It's so awesome. Yeah, I'll, uh, I, I, have to, I have to say that... Um... I uh, I knew it was coming, but uh, the main reason why I was knew it was coming is because someone who will remain nameless uh, put the hashtag Ahsoka lives in their tweet. What? And uh, who is that? Yeah, I know. It's, I feel like what a jerk. I know what a, what a jerk. I mean, I like I, I just I just feel like who would do that? You know, like like uh, the 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 day after you know this this huge thing was revealed. Not rushing. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, Tristan. <laughs> it's quite all right. No, when um when when Fulcrum was introduced, like the idea of Fulcrum was introduced, I I kind of felt like I was like, okay, that's either it's going to be either an original series character, like it's gonna like it's going to be like Bail Organa, or it's going to be Ahsoka. Like I I thought it was going to be like one of those two, and I felt like it would be cooler, it, way cooler if it was Ahsoka. So it was uh, like I I think they definitely went in the right direction. Uh, with using her in that in that fashion. Also, I cannot wait to figure out who Sarah Michelle Gellar is going to play in season two. Oh, yeah, yeah, that no is going to be really. That's going to be pretty wild. Uh, I wondered if she was going to play Leia at all. Actually, when you were, uh, I've heard some rumors that maybe she might play Leia. Hmm. Um, um, of course, she could also play Mon Mothma. Um, you know, so there's lots of people that are out there, strong female, amazing characters. That I'd be, I would love to see. You know, Mon Motha was in the the Clone Wars, uh, and an active role in in there quite a bit with Padme. So I'd love to see her as the older character, kind of uh, working with Bail and and really help forging this this rebellion. I want to see her as a female Inquisitor and have her face off against Ooh, Freddie Prince Jr. Awesome. in the most backwards reference laden cartoon <gasps> showdown was, in history. What if she was like? What if she? Well, it wouldn't work timeline wise completely. But what if she was like Mara Jade? Oh like, wow! Rid of that. EU. Yeah, like, no, but they, no. I'm just hey. saying. But what if they? What if they used her? Yeah. What if they used if that they character? Her and decided in. that the Emperor's hand. Yeah, they they re, they rewind it a little bit. They take the concept of Mara Jade and instead of making her a contemporary of Luke Skywalker, put her in this time period. That would be interesting. Yeah, I I'm just saying. There's so much you can do. Um, I would. I I'm. I'm just exploding with ideas. I mean, because if you think about what was left from the Clone Wars, you had Darth Maul is still around. Uh, the comic series that's canon, they they didn't finalize his story. Uh, you know, he's not dead. He's still out there. Uh, you do have Asajj Ventress. She's still around as far as we know. Um, you know, so there's a lot of characters out there. There's, I mean, gosh, you could... Did Rex survive the Clone Wars? And is he still alive at all? He'd be really old at this point. Um, but is he still around? I mean, I, there's so many things you could follow up on. And then, 
like I said, you know, you've got Mon Mothma, you've got Admiral Akbar, you've got all these other characters from the Rebellion um, that would be so fantastic to get to see as they kind of open up this world for them. And so I think season two and season three, you know, and hopefully they'll give them at least four or five seasons like the Clone Wars. You've got so much that could happen. In fact, maybe you just do five seasons and that's, you know, the last season is right before the opening of A New Hope. You know, you just have, mm -hmm. uh, you kind of represent a year in the life of the Rebellion. Well, so. the, the Rebel Alliance is supposed to have won their first major victory uh, right before A New Hope. So maybe the end of the series yeah. could be that victory. Yeah, I would. Exactly. I would absolutely love that. I think that continuity would be really great. Where like one season is one year right before because it's five years before A New Hope, right? Or how many years is it? Right. Yeah. 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 Five. This is the it's twenty years be between uh, Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars: A New Hope, and they're fifteen years because Ezra is fifteen. So yeah, there's about five years before A New Hope now, and uh, so yeah, again, you again you. You got Leia you can play with, too, obviously. Mm -hmm. as she's uh, going to become a senator uh, in a few years. So, I mean, there's so much to work with. I, I think, goodness, this show has so much going for it. So, I guess if you haven't guessed, I, I came around on the show. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, one thing that I wanted to touch on before um, we get to the end and before we kind of give um, our final thoughts and ratings for what we thought the season did, music, you touched on that a little bit, John. By the end of the series, how did you feel about the music uh, with uh, Kevin Kiner's work? I mean, obviously, compared to Clone Wars, it, Clone Wars is very different. George did that on purpose. He wanted it to feel like its own thing, mm -hmm. and, and it does. Um, there are obviously cues in there where you get the the references to the other the other trilogy you know whether it's the the uh prequel trilogy or uh the original trilogy they use both in the clone wars what did you guys think of uh the music uh i honestly you know like be like with what john said earlier in the podcast it's a uh, you know it's it's so similar like they use so many cues from uh, a new hope and from the star wars franchise that I I couldn't really tell you how much I noticed, like, because I, I didn't really notice that much about the music. Like, I just was just like, oh yeah, it's it sounds a lot like John Williams. It feels like John Williams score, and because they use so much of it, and so yeah, like I like Kiner score in Clone Wars was so individual and so unique that you noticed it, and this one just kind of blends with the rest, and so I I I, I don't really have too many opinions about it. I I still want to hear some more. Uh unique individual themes i know that kiner can do it i know that he's capable of it i don't know if there's some sort of uh, you know as crazy as this sounds i don't know whether it was a stylistic or a budget decision to say well we own the copyright on this and just turn it into some synth music like i i i don't know but i sincerely want them to develop a unique theme for the characters uh, mm -hmm. throughout there, uh, because for me that that's one of the that's one of the most important stumbling blocks. Because music is so important to Star Wars to getting that that feel, and the idea that this is borrowing from something that has already established its own feel, it feels like a little bit of a cheat to me. Um, now you know borrowing certain motifs and and, and stuff like that that's fine. But I, I really want to hear them develop the music more. Yeah, I am somewhere in between you guys. Like, um, 
Tristan, I kind of got to the point where it, it just became what I heard on the show and I'm, I'm used to it. At the same time, I'm, I'm a little bit with you, John, where I would love to hear some, I would kind of love to hear what Ezra's theme sounds like or right. Hera or Kanan, you know, that they would have their own themes the way that John would create new themes for new characters. Um, you know, Grievous has his theme and things like that. So I'd really like to see some of that stuff come in. Um, but on a whole, you know, Kevin does a great job. And if you're going to have to have somebody riff John Williams, I think he does it well. Um, and I, 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 do, I can't fault him for and them for wanting to use this music. But I would love to see some just kind of original things because I'd love to have a beautiful, you know, Hera and Kanan theme because I kind of think of them as being space married. Um, they don't really hmm. reference them having a relationship, but it kind of seems like they do. Uh, and it's cute. I love it. I love those two together. I love when she calls him dear or love or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's just it's real sweet. Yeah. I'd love Ezra to have a theme that kind of felt familiar with the Force type theme, but tweaked so it just didn't feel like we're... Re- referencing Luke Skywalker although I realized Ezra really is the proto Luke Skywalker and this is the final main question I want to ask you guys Yoda goes into hiding and so does Obi-Wan Kenobi and those are the last two official Jedi you know fully trained Jedi masters obviously Jedi Grandmaster with Yoda um and no other, uh, at least as far as we know, you know, obviously Ahsoka, she's not a trained Jedi. In fact, she's not a Jedi at all anymore. Her lightsabers are white. Uh, and Dave said uh, in an interview that is because she's no longer Jedi or Sith. She is her own thing. You know, mm-hmm. she's just a force user. So I felt like I was thinking about this today is that Ezra is really a proto Luke. He's the new form of where the Jedi Order would go as they do things completely differently because obviously he's 15 years old. So he's, a, he's close to where Luke's going to be uh, when Luke starts his training. Um, he hasn't had any exposure to, um, you know, being raised in a force environment uh, like the, the original Jedi were in the old Republic. Um, everything about him feels very much a lot like Luke in those ways, you know. Uh, so I just thought it was a really interesting idea of that, you know, obviously Yoda is involved a little bit in him at least getting his lightsaber crystal and stuff. So he's kind of blessing him being trained in the same way he will Luke one day. Um, and it's interesting because he says about Luke, too old. Yes, too old. You know, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't say that about Ezra. And so it's just a really interesting thing how all this is going to play out. And what do you guys kind of think about that idea, though? Did Ezra is a little bit like a proto-Luke. Well, I feel, I feel like it's interesting because uh, I feel like Ezra is, like, because he doesn't have the background of the temple, uh, it's very much like Luke. Um, but I think his relationship with Kanan is isn't like his isn't like a relationship with Obi-Wan. I feel like it's more like a relationship with Han. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> it's it's I think that's a good thing because we don't need another Obi-Wan and Anakin. We don't need another Obi-Wan and Luke. We don't need another Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. We we need something a little bit different. And so we have a Luke Skywalker with a force using Han. And I think that's the rough and tumble sensibility that we need in a ship like the ghost. Yeah. I, 
for me, Ezra, I, part of my trouble uh, plugging into the show is that I, I felt that his arc was could imperil the sense of importance to Luke's arc. Mm. But I think that the way that they're progressing with it is, yeah, he's going to be trained, but I don't think that he's going to be, he's not being trained in the, in the same way that the Jedi were. Luke is trained as a Jedi, whereas Yoda's aware. And I think Yoda has hit a level and blesses this, you know, to, to borrow your term, Matt, in the sense of, you know, you're not going to be a Jedi, but you can use the Force, so it's better that you're watched over. Like, Yoda has hit a plateau where he realizes no matter what happens from this point forward, the Jedi Order as I knew it and as it existed before doesn't exist and never will again. It's never going to be that way again. Um at least for another thousand years until, you know, rules, you know, make it uh, crusty and stale and the Sith rise again. But, like, I, you know, I, I think that what they're doing with Ezra's arc, they're do they're being careful with it, and I think that's wise. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that one because I also thought that too. I was just like, Luke is special. He's the only one. He's the, he's the hope yeah. that we have, and why? Like, if Ezra. You know, like if Ezra is just like another Luke, I mean, like, why do we why do we need Luke then? And because this happened before. But I think you're right, because like even at the end of Clone Wars, Yoda says he's like, yeah, we're not going to win the Clone Wars. And that's OK, yeah. because we're going to set it up so that we're like, we're going to lose this war, but we're going to win for peace later on because right. There's like there's someone named Skywalker that is going to help us out. There's going to be another Skywalker that's going to help us out. And so I feel like with Ezra, with Kanan, with Yoda talking with them, I feel like he's he's finding the Force users where he can using using the Force and just basically planting seeds. Like whenever we can get a good Force user on our side, let's do that. But they're they're going to help out the Rebel Alliance uh, using their skill. But Luke. Like you said, John is going to be a Jedi. A, being a Jedi is much more than throwing things with your mind, right? And 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 def, deflecting uh, laser bolts. And I feel like like Ezra will find that peace and that serenity because you need that in order to use the Force. But Luke will be the Jedi. The the like he's going to be Yoda's and Obi Wan's replacement. Ezra is going to help them out because he'll learn how to fight. Yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting because, you know, uh, what I thought was most interesting, too, is because I felt like Yoda was really embracing what he had said at the end of Sith, which was, you know, failed I have and exile must go. Like, he's realizing that his failure as the Jedi Master over the Jedi Council for 900 years, that he's missed something and things do need to change. Uh, the Jedi Order needs to change, so it will never be the same as it was in the Old Republic, but that's a good thing. And so starting with Ezra and seeing that develop is very interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, there's so much to go with this, and I think just like, um, you know, the Clone Wars and then bringing in Ahsoka and everybody was like, what? You know, Anakin has a Padawan, and then we all love her by the end, you know. I have the same feeling that 
by the end, of, when we get to the end of Rebels, we're all going to be in love with the characters just as much um, because they just have a way of doing that. I think Dave has a way of just getting to us with the characters and he understands how George created characters and used them um, so that by the end, yes, when Ahsoka shows up at the end of Rebels season one, we're all just like fan flailing. You know, just our mm-hmm. hearts are a beaten a pattern because we're so excited to have our character back. And uh, I think that'll end up happening one day when uh, Rebels has their final episode and where we uh, maybe wonder about what happens next for the characters. You know, where do they go next? So there's a lot and we could talk for hours more because it's Star Wars. But uh, final thoughts and, and just kind of ratings for the first season. What do you think, John? Uh, pulls it together by the end. Uh, makes me want to watch season two. So I will give it uh, eh, two and a half crystals out of four. Oh, that's a good rating then. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Tristan? Uh, I uh, I think I, um, I definitely enjoyed it a, a little bit sooner than John. I think it pulled me in about a, a fourth of the way in. And so I think this is a, an incredibly strong season. Uh, it has its ups and downs. Uh, you know, it's definitely not a perfect season. It's not as... Uh, it, it doesn't knock it out of the park until the very end, but it is good much earlier. So I give it um, seven force pushes out of ten. Hmm. Oh, nice. Very nice. You know, uh, for me, by the time that we uh, got to, I think, uh, we got Path of the Jedi, and the way that they used Yoda, it totally won me over. Um, and then when we got into Vision of Hope, Call to Action, Rebel Resolve, and Fire Across the Galaxy. We didn't even mention that Brent Spiner is a voice in this show, uh, Mr. Data himself, uh, which was fantastic. I think it just nails it. Um, And on a whole, I would probably take, if I could, maybe three episodes out of this season. I I could lose them, and I wouldn't feel like it it mattered too much. Um, And because of that, because I was completely won over, and because Ahsoka came back, Geez, uh, for me, this is this is uh, this is four out of five Ahsoka appearances for me. Um, wow. I, I just I think that this uh, series really pulled me in by the end and had me loving it. And I didn't know if that was possible, but at the beginning, but apparently, um, I just need patience uh, as a good Jedi. So. <laughs> well, guys, it has been awesome to have you both here talking star wars rebels today but it is not the only thing that we have been talking about here on trek fm the past week so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm standard orbit and celebrate his life and celebrate his work and his talent and his integrity, and and if you get a tear in the eye, that's okay. That's that's he would approve. Spock would approve. And um, you know, he'd say, "You humans, why do you feel you need to do this?" But but he would approve. Earl Grey. Like I'm expecting Ricardo Martaban to like walk around the corner and be like, "Captain Picard, welcome." This is Rise of Five. The shuttlecraft. The shuttlecraft. The orb. Usually, you want to be able to capture it or isolate one but you you can't do that either because it just keeps you know so 
really does seem like a conundrum of, okay, how do we take this down? You know, this minefield, they are the triples of war. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! (laughs) The ready room. Riker's all pissed because he can't prop his leg up with no gravity. <laughs> he tries, though. He tries. He's trying. I can, I can picture it. He's but got then the just, momentum makes him somersault. Which really just makes him yeah, look he's, spread he's eagle. Going in circles. He's spinning. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary tricks. Well, actually, it started out life as a comic book pitch. I originally came up with it to pitch to Wildstorm back when they uh, had the comics license. The idea was it would be a one-year series that would run throughout the 12 calendar months of 2001, which was the 35th anniversary of Star Trek. The 602 Club. Sometimes that just works better because you can create and craft a, a story that's very compelling because you're not having to worry about what's happened other places. Okay, we have to make sure this is going to connect to this, and my guess is somehow Agent Carter is going to have something to do with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. later on, and maybe something that happens in Age Voltron. Warp 5. In the history of Axanar, Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You will find us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple users were there. Uh, We're actually a featured provider there on iTunes, so you can find all of our shows. Hit that subscribe button. helps us out greatly. makes it easier for the listeners to find us uh, when they search for the show. If you're not an Apple user, got you covered as well. Find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file and grab the RSS link as well. Guys, that was so much fun getting to talk about Rebels with you. I loved having you on. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much for inviting me. It was um, it was so great to talk with you and talk with John about Star Wars Rebels. I can't wait for Season 2, and we cannot wait another two years to podcast together oh goodness tristan no we can't uh you've got to be back on the show before then uh both of you in fact that would be great Uh, john where can we find you online Uh, well you can find me trolling around uh the twitterverse at kessel junkie uh, and i'm appearing on the trek fm network on commentary trek stars with mike and max and you can also find me on a little old podcast called words with nerds every thursday awesome and tristan where can we find you well, I am also on Twitter. You can find me at the Insane Robin, and you can also find me uh, here um, on the Trek.fm network on a Voyager podcast, To the Journey, with my podcasting partner, Charlene Schmidt. To the Journey! To the Journey! And you can also find me on my independent podcast, The Nerd Party, with Matt Hansen, where it's very much like this show, where we don't talk about Star Trek, we talk about anything geek, but uh, we started out as a podcast where um, <laughs> you uh, we were going to like, we're going to talk about technology, we're going to talk about comic books, we're going to talk about TV. It really has just turned into a geek movie podcast. So um, I really hope that you guys check it out. It's thenerdparty.com. And you'll be able to find us anywhere major podcasts are sold. Great, guys. Thanks for being on. 
Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to each week is become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all the current goals and milestone contribution levels, along with the great perks that we have for you. These include seats in the content development team, exclusive content, producer credits, and so much more. Guys, we appreciate your support. We are a listener-supported network, and without you, we can't, we just can't do this. So we appreciate all the support, and you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I want to say a special thank you to our associate producer, Norman C. Lau, and his support of the network and the 602 Club. His Twitter account is at Norman Lau, and he's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar project, and you can also find him on their official Facebook page, as well as the Babel Conference. And last but not least, he's a huge supporter of our network through Patreon and the host of Warp 5 now. We'd also like to thank Kenneth Tripp for his support of the network and being an associate producer on the 602 Club. Thank you so much, guys. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We are on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course, we're on the Babel Conference. That's the best place to have any Star Trek discussion these days. Just search the Babel Conference in the search field there on Facebook, or you can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. I'd also like to say a quick thanks for an iTunes review that we got from Emily Reads. Emily, thank you so much for giving us that great five-star review. Uh, means so much to me that you would spend the time to go on to uh, iTunes and give us the review. I know that it takes time out of your day. And guys, it really does help um, make us rise in the rankings there on iTunes. So um, I appreciate that. It, it helps the visibility of the show and Trek FM. So thank you for everyone who does that, and if if you have a chance, I'd love for you to do that, and I'll definitely give you that shout-out on the show as thanks. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about books and comics and Star Trek. Also, I'm on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively, and my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? Hear?